<laughs> okay, so good morning. We are talking this week about disciplining our kids. There's some notes over on the folding chair if you didn't get them and you want them. Um, we're going to just kind of dive right into this. And what, what, what do we mean by discipline? This is kind of like a heavy word, but what, what is it we actually mean by it? This is some dictionary definitions, which I've shortened in order to fit on the screen. The longer definitions are to train someone to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. So you know how in the dictionary they have like number one, number two, number three, that was number one. Number two was to punish or rebuke someone formally for an offense. Number three was to train oneself to do something in a controlled and habitual way. So kind of a self-discipline approach. So a little different than um, the others. What we see in these, in these definitions is some common themes, common theme of training, common theme of punishment. So there's some corrective aspect that goes through this, but we're really more interested in what the Bible has to say about discipline than what the dictionary does. So we will look at discipline from the standpoint of what the Bible has to say. There's a number of verses that talk about it. And so we will we will get into that um, this morning. We often see um, corporal punishment, spanking, as like the whole picture. And that's really not the whole picture. And that's one of my objectives today is to really look at what, how, how that fits into the scheme of discipline and correction that God has laid out for us and has asked us to do as parents. There's a lot of difficult aspects of this. And the, um, you know, knowing when to discipline, knowing how to discipline is, is really hard. And for new parents, for, you know, the, that first baby moment, like they start getting older and they start losing that beautiful, sweet innocence that we think, oh, it's so cute, these little newborns. But then all of a sudden they're standing at you saying, no, I'm not gonna do that. And they don't look like this anymore. And what is it that we do in that instance? We, um, this kind of brought me back to 1990 <laughs> when, when our oldest was 13 months old and we came to the realization that, oh, this needs, Correction, we were actually down at the wilds in North Carolina. We had taken a bunch of teenagers. You might have been on that trip. Yeah. Bunch of teenagers down to the wilds and we had taken a bus and the bus was a mess by the time you get all the way down there. And so the sponsors were cleaning up the bus, you know, after the kids ran off to play the games. And so Zach's there and he's 13 months, he's toddling around and he's in the aisle of the bus and somebody gives him a piece of candy and he takes a wrapper and he throws it down. Well, it's like the bus was a mess, right? So it's like one, I thought, oh, this is not good. He's like just thinking he can just do anything he wants. I say, you need to pick that up. He's like, he's not speaking at this point. I think, does he understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and I have this dilemma. It's like, I want him to like obey me and I want him to like not, you know, contribute to the litter of society kind of thing. Well, I will pick it up. And I, I take his hand and I pull it down and he's pulling his hand back. And I look at Lisa and I, I said, he is not obeying. I don't remember the exact conversation, but that ensued the first of many, what I have called epic battles for the will of the child. And our oldest 
probably really, you know, he smelled fear, you know, he knew that we were not up to this job and he probably ended up getting more disciplined than the other three kids combined. But I think part of that was his personality, part of that was our inexperience. Um, and sometimes we, you know, maybe went a little aggressive on the trigger, but we were both learning and all in all, here we are 30 something years later. So there comes a time when you realize you have to do more than just saying, pick up the wrapper. You have to actually make them do it. So we wanna start by looking at what is the motive of my heart in making them obey? Because this motive is really important because if, if, we, are, if we are disciplining out of improper motive, then we're going to have problems. And it's going to be more than just um, misplaced direction. So three motives here that we'll look at. The first one we've really already talked about um, a couple of weeks ago from Ephesians 6.4. So we won't spend a lot of time on this. But this is discipline, which is obedience to God. So our motive should be, first and foremost, that we want to glorify God in everything we do. One of the ways that we glorify God is to obey his commandments. In Ephesians 6, we have a commandment to bring up our children in the training and nurture of the Lord. So we are to discipline our kids because we want to obey God. So this is like, like sanctification 101, right? That we want to obey God because we love God. We love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. The sex, which we talked about before, that should generate a heart of obedience. We're trying to transfer that to our children so that they want to obey us because they love God too, and they've been commanded to do that. So this is sort of like um, going to the gym and you have a physical trainer there. So what does a physical trainer do at a gym? Anybody, anybody have this experience? I don't go to a gym, so. Yeah, so, so the first thing they do is they provide instruction. They're saying, okay, you want to get into shape, here's what you need to do. So they do an assessment of where you are, and okay, here's some exercises you need to do. They give you this routine that you need to go through, and then I think what you said at the end of that, they help you stay on that schedule, right? So the next week you go and you're doing it again, what do they say? Did you follow the schedule? Are you doing what you're supposed to do? Show me, you know, are you doing this exercise? And so you're doing the exercise and you're doing it like improperly. So what do they do then? Correct the form. They, they correct the form. Because if the form is wrong, then what happens? Injury, you know, worst case, I suppose. But, you know, you're not going to develop the muscle. It's not going to do anything for you. Um, so they are correcting you after they've given you instruction. So the correction doesn't come first. So they're instructing you, providing you information, then putting you on a routine, and then correcting the behavior to make sure that it happens correctly. So the second motive um, is discipline out of love for our kids. So the physical trainer's job is to make sure you do this right. It's our job as parents to correct our children because that's what God has told us to do, but it's more than that even. It's because we love our kids. It's like, I don't, that's like not new news, right? I mean, we all know this inherently. But let's look at the nuance of this in some verses, particularly these verses in Proverbs. So let's turn to Proverbs 3. 
and take a look at verses 11 and 12. And if someone could read that for us when they get there, that would be helpful. Thank you. So the context of these verses, um, they're sandwiched between teaching about the value of wisdom. And so the Solomon's talking to his son. He says, my son, in other words, if you want to be wise, listen to me. That's the context. And discipline is a necessary part of the process of obtaining wisdom. Wisdom is something that children are short of. Sometimes we're short of that too. We want to help them have wisdom based on what God said. And what the focus here is, is on the Lord's discipline, the Lord's discipline of us, which helps us to have wisdom. And then the, the commands are, don't, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't despise um, the Lord's discipline. And don't be weary of his reproof. Don't get tired of the Lord correcting is what he's saying. So don't despise God's discipline, his correction, his chastening, and don't get tired of his reproof or rebuke. God is the one who is doing the disciplining in these verses. And the reason that is given in verse 12, the Lord reproves him whom he loves. Why is the Lord disciplining in this verse? Because he loves his child. He loves us. Then the, the parenting part of this is actually an example to prove that broader point. And the example is supposed to be like, this is like intuitive. The father disciplines the son in whom he loves. So in the parent-child relationship, it's assumed that we love, it's assumed that we discipline because we love. Therefore, it's this verse is extracting from that the bigger picture of God's love for us and his discipline when we do wrong. So the son needs discipline in order to obtain wisdom, and the father loves him, so he provides it, just as if, just as God does for us. So let's think about this and flip it on its head and take the reverse. So what is it saying if we don't discipline our kids? Yeah, so we don't love them. Now, anybody like have like a knee-jerk reaction against that? I did when I just started to think through this process. It's like, so if I don't, so if I withhold discipline, you're telling me I don't love my kids. I love my kids like more than anything. Let's think about that really. So why aren't you disciplined? Okay, so if it's not, if it's, if it's a lot easier not to, and I agree with that, it's much easier in the moment, short term, to, to not discipline children. But if that's what we're doing, then who do we actually love? I'm loving me because this is a lot of work and to be diligent at it and, you know, staying after discipline and doing, you know, discipline for the same thing for the 40th time, this is exhausting, but it shows who we love when we actually discipline them. The writer of Hebrews picked up these verses, quotes them, 
in Hebrews 12. We won't take the time to look at this passage, but um, he picks it up in proving his point that God is putting us through difficult times in order to make us holy. I'll read one verse from that second, verse 10, chapter 12. It says, For they, um, fathers on earth, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So God provides difficult circumstances, which are that training regimen that help us become holy, that help us become more focused on God than we are on ourselves. He's doing it for our holiness. And the encouragement is not to grow weary in the face of that discipline. And he cites these verses from Proverbs 3 as, as, as his launch pad for that point. So the principle here in these verses is that God disciplines us through difficulty because he loves us and he wants us to be holy like he is holy. It proves that we are part of his family, that we are his sons, because I don't discipline your kids. I'm not their father. The father disciplines their own children. And so the application for our, for our class, for our purposes, is that fathers, parents, are to be disciplining their children because they love them, because they want their best, which is their holiness, which is their Christ-likeness in looking like Jesus. And discipline is, is admittedly painful in the moment. It's painful for the parents. It's painful for the child. But it bears good fruit. It bears righteousness, as this passage says at the end, when we are trained by the discipline. Think about another um, discipline example. Anybody go through the military? So I've only heard stories of like Marine boot camp. I have friends that are Marines. They talk about boot camp and how difficult it was and how the, the sergeant, the drill sergeant, is like, you know, like on the borderline of sadistic, if not over the line, and just drills into them like immediate obedience to every command that they give that puts them through physical rigors to build their endurance, to build their physical and mental stamina so that they will be unflinching and immediate in their obedience. Why do they do that? Because they hate them? No. I don't know if I go as far as to say that they love them, and what would be success in that? Not dying. They want this recruit to get on the battlefield and survive and help win the battle. Because if they get on the battlefield and they're unprepared and they haven't gone through this level of difficulty, they're gonna fold, they're gonna do things they shouldn't, they're going to have a very short survival rate. <laughs> no matter what, what would work if we all work together? And a lot of the people say, well, I don't know if that's a good idea. And the whole thing's not going to work. Right. And in battle, you don't have time for a group discussion, right? It's like somebody's got to make a decision. Everyone's got to follow that decision. Sometimes those decisions aren't going to be the best because people are fallible. But if there is not immediate obedience, it's really a disaster. It's really not going to work that well. Let's look at another verse in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 13. Verse 24. Someone read this verse for us. 1324. 
It's a horse. All right, thank you. So this really supports that prior point, you know, where I flipped that other verse on its head. And, and it says straight out, if you are not disciplining your child, you're hating them because he needs this. It's for his own good. The, the one, the parent that loves the child is going to be diligent, not just random discipline, random acts of corporal punishment. No, no, no. It's going to be diligent application of discipline, correction for the benefit of the child because we love them. And then there's a verse in Revelation I put up here, but Revelation 3, Jesus is saying, those who I love, I reprove and discipline to be zealous and repent. And, and repent. So the same concept just applied in a church context. So when we love someone, we are going to act for their benefit, not for our own benefit. It's a perspective that we need to have, a motive that we need to have. So this next motive is really closely tied to love for our kids, and that is discipline is for our kids' benefit. This isn't for our benefit. So we are not disciplining them so that we will have a more peaceful life. Hopefully, that's a happy <laughs> collateral result, but it's not the main motive. We can't be disciplining because we want some peace and quiet. Again, that would be a selfish motive, not a God-focused motive. So a couple of verses in Proverbs 6, um, verses 23 and 24, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. So here we have focus on instruction, giving them information, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So Proverbs 5 through 7 talk a lot about the danger of immorality. And it is the instruction of Solomon to his son about this very dangerous topic. And he is saying to his son, listen to my instruction, to my commandment. I am going to communicate to you what you need to know. He even gives an example of a young man who hasn't had this instruction and he, he wanders off and follows an immoral woman and there's all kinds of bad results that come from that. But he goes on to say, in addition to the commandment, there's a reproof, there's a correction that comes from that. A, a reproof is a rebuke. It is oral correction. That's what needs to happen. And so the father is saying, pay attention to that because that reproof is the way of life. I am going to save your life by giving you this correction. That is definitely for the benefit of the child, for the benefit of uh, the, the, the child in the relationship. So this verse gives us an interesting glimpse into discipline. And that is a coupling of instruction, the commandment, and reproof, rebuke, which is part of the correction process. So those two things going hand in hand. Instruction, here's what you should do. Rebuke, I see where you're going. This is not the way to go. You need to go a different direction. And that those two things together form a tandem of discipline. So the point here is that the teaching of parents combined with the reproof of discipline results in life for the child. Discipline is good for the child. That's what they need. It will preserve their life. It keeps the child from future sin and sin's consequences. 
this is something that we need to embrace. So let's move on to biblical methods. And before jumping into the biblical methods, which that you'll see on the outline, it's really a coupling of, of method of application of discipline, corporal punishment, with communication. And I think it's easy to think of those as like mutually exclusive, but we see them in scripture paired together like we just did in, in Proverbs chapter six, and they work more effectively when done together. But before we go into those biblical methods, we wanna just think about some unbiblical methods that we might see today. And so this is what follows here is a list that is like, it's my synopsis of what um, Ted Tripp put in his book, Shepherding the Child's Heart. Um, and he does a much better job of explaining it than I'm probably going to do, and I'm going to do it briefer than he does. So if there's anything here that, that kind of piques your interest, I'd encourage you to really to take a look at that book. Where do we learn our methods primarily from or discipline? Our parents, right? Well, it worked for me. I'm not so bad. <laughs> you know, a, a couple of times in this class, I think I've mentioned things that my, my parents did. And my parents did a lot of things right. My parents weren't perfect. They did some things that I did not want to do in my parenting relationship. And those things, you know, generated conversation for us when we were raising our children. And I think I mentioned one of them was the count to three method that my parents would say, you know, you know, you know, John, you know, come to the supper table and I'm playing, so I don't. Okay, you have to the count of three. And so they were, in my view, they were training me to wait until two and a half before I bolted for the table, you know, because that's when I knew that I was going to get in trouble. I, I got to believe that they thought that that was an effective method because they did it. You know, it's not illogical. It's not a biblical method, but there are lots of things that we do in life that aren't necessarily spelled out in the Bible. So anyway, I think we do either consciously or unconsciously mimic what our parents did in our lives. And I think it's really important for us to, to unpack that with our spouses, if you can, or just personally. And, you know, I know we have a couple of moms that are, you know, flying solo from a, a biblical standpoint. We have husbands, but they're not, they're not believing husbands. And so getting on the same page with them may be a little bit more challenging than other folks. Man, I take my hat off to you guys, really. You know, doing this is tough. And we're here to support you. But we need to think about not only what we learn through our parent experiences, but what our spouse learned through their parent experiences. And so Lisa's, parent, Lisa's experience with her parents is very different than my experience with my parents. So she grew up in a, in a home with unbelieving parents at the time. My parents were believing. And so there's very different approaches. And so we had assumptions and you know, sometimes doing things that we you know, subconsciously do because this is the way it was done. Maybe that's not the best way to do things. So think about those things. All right, so let's talk about, let's talk about these different um, methods. So this first one, toleration followed by explosion. So here's an example. So Richard, little Richard, asks his mother repeatedly for a new Hot Wheels car. Mom says no each time he asks and asks him to stop asking. Often, 
mom, Richard's mom, will eventually just give in and do what Richard's asking because he just will not stop. He will not stop asking. This time, however, she reaches her limits and she blows at the top, yells at Richard and tells him, I am never buying you a toy for this girl. <laughs> All right, so what's the problem? What's the problem with the method or what's the problem in the situation? What's your observations? It's funny, they don't follow it the rules. Good plan, yeah, right, right, right. It's easy to sit here and talk about it, right? Yeah. It's when it gets home and, and it starts to be implemented that it comes, becomes difficult. Mm. You, you try, you have the plan, and, and it's not. So it's, it's not a matter of unclear communication, right? You said, you, no, the answer is no. So it's not like they don't understand, but what have they learned through past experience? They've learned to be steadfast in their asking, right? They've learned if I just hold in there, if I am faithful to my wants, I will get what I want, right? So, you know, a couple lessons ago, we, we talked about how everyone's a teacher. So when we're, in, when we're parenting, we're teaching all the time. And so what are we teaching? teaching keep asking and you'll get it eventually hmm how do we cut that off well we'll talk about that more when we get to the biblical method but for now this is a problem so the training that has occurred is both you know keep asking and you get what you want but don't go too far because if you push too far mom will blow up and that is going to be a problem Yeah. <laughs> so the kids that are really good at this will know when you're like, yeah. when your yeah. eyes start to bulge out of your head, it's time to stop. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, abandon ship. All right, good. So let's go move to the next one, bribery and reward. I'm going to be careful with this one because I think there's aspects of this that can be used effectively. But bribery and reward, similar concepts. So here's the example. Teenage Lily wants a smartphone like all her friends. Dad isn't crazy about the idea, but he's willing to trade a smartphone for better grades. So, Lily, you want a phone? You need to bring your, your grades up. I know you're a good student. You know, if they're all A's and B's next semester, I'll get you a smartphone. That's what we would call a bribe, right? So what's the, what's the training that is occurring? Okay. Not long term. <laughs> You're rewarding them for something they're doing anyway. Short term. What else? Any other thoughts? Similar? I do. Keep going. Yeah. 
So if we take this back several weeks to earlier lessons, what, what do we talk about? We talked about the authority structure in the home and who's the authority in the home? Well, the parents are the authority in the home. And so by putting them in a bargaining situation, they become like an equal, I think it's the point, right? And so this, the, the authority structure is no longer there. So we're, we're teaching them that there's no authority and obedience required here. Life is all about just negotiating for whatever you can get. It's quid pro quo. I'll give you what I want if you give me what you want. I said that backwards. I'm sorry. I'll give you what you want if you give me what I want. So the parents want better grades. Dad wants better grades. Child wants a cell phone. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's interesting. I didn't, I hadn't thought about that as being kind of collateral damage, but anxiety in the children by not being able to achieve their end of the bargain. They're, you know, they're breaching the contract, right? I mean, they're gonna have to face the full force of the law now. Yeah, that's interesting. I would say that there is like an age grading on this one. So with a three-year-old, you know, negotiating benefits is not a great idea. You know, 17-year-old, I think there, I think it's a different story. And I think situationally that can be effective. I think what's important is the communication that happens around this. So when it's stated as blatantly as I did in the example for Ben, so it, it really, it's like shockingly, you know, wrong. But I could, I could see how there would be some benefit of structuring life in your family. So there is some carrots as well as sticks. And so the, the end of this lesson really is about setting training objectives for different age groups and helping them, um, help, helping them meet those objectives through how, how discipline is applied in the different age groups. We're not gonna get to that today, but that's really where that's going. So I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I, I think what's important is, is for younger children, this is not going to be a great strategy of the, the things that it's teaching them. You know, I've heard that put both ways. I've heard people say, um, you know, allowance. So, so one, one, so it's a great question. Should allowance be tied to doing expected jobs, chores? I've heard some people say, no, it shouldn't. You know, you do chores because you have the privilege of living in this house. That's one, one viewpoint. Um, other people are like, well, it's like I'm teaching them to earn money. That's a different viewpoint. So again, I think it depends on how it's presented and how it's structured in, in your family. Anybody else have thoughts about that? <laughs> you know, like the, the case you just have of 
lines you towards like you do the meat of the house and it's part of your yeah. thing. And then these are sort of added towards like you put in the meat and then you extra But you can't get paid for these if you haven't done this, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like a mix. Yeah. That that's actually pretty similar to what we did. And as our kids got older, we gave them larger allowances, but we stopped paying for things. <laughs> so when they got to junior high, we gave them a larger allowance, but we didn't pay for their lunch at school. They had to pay for their lunch at school. But we gave them enough money to, to buy lunch, but they didn't have to. And then when they got into high school, we gave them enough money to buy their clothes. They're like, we're not, you want to buy a $200 pair of sneakers? Go ahead. You have the money. But that mean, that may mean that you're not going to buy a winter coat. So think about that. So, so it was like a training. So we were trying to teach them to manage their money as they got older and trying to give it to them in increments that they could handle without blowing it. And that had some other ramifications that I'm happy to talk to you privately about if, if you want. But that's that's generally how we handled it as well. That one school year where they did have Asian well, it did get to the point with one child in particular that was said, you must buy new socks and underwear. <laughs> you know, it's funny how they, they changed from what they asked for for Christmas. They're like, oh, you know. <laughs> they used to be getting socks and underwear for Christmas. Like, you know, now it's like, yeah, I don't have to spend my money on this. Change the attitude completely. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. All right, let's move to the next one. Emotional manipulation. So what do I mean by that? Here's an example. Mom says to son Jimmy, why can't you be a good boy like your brother Billy? Oh, oh, oh. That just like, there's just so many things bad with that example. So this is like emotional shaming. That has nothing to do with promoting obedience as commanded by God for this world. This, this, this kind of discipline is to, in my mind, this is emotional child abuse. I, I think this is going to cause long seated damage in the child. The training that is occurring here in my mind is that parents care more about themselves than they care about me. They care about their image because they want me to be like Billy rather than caring about me as a person. So I think what's missing here is the, the understanding of the parent that obedience isn't for the parent's benefit. Obedience of the child is for the child's benefit. Another one is silent treatment. This is, you misbehave, so I'm just not gonna talk to you. You know, don't talk to me. You misbehave, I'm not gonna talk to you. That's, that's just like a variation on emotional manipulation, I think. Um, this, isn't, this isn't what we see in scripture. What we see is more communication gets layered on. So we need to, we need to be talking to our children, providing correction, providing instruction, rather than ignoring them. Um, punitive privation. Okay, what in the world is that? So let's try and break that apart. So privation is like short for deprivation. So privation is withholding something. So privation by itself, I'm not really getting toward, but the punitive part is like, heavy-handed, out of proportion. So like in legal terms, this is the punishment doesn't fit the crime kind of thing. So punitive privation is a problem. So this is, child, you were bad, so I will take something away that you care about. So loss of privilege. So what's the problem with this? So with, 
this is again one of those sliding scale things in my mind. So the younger children, this is this is the wrong teaching. What we need to teach younger children is they need to obey because it pleases God. That's what they need to understand. It misses the big picture of the authority and obedience structure that God has commanded. As children get too old to spank, to administer corporal punishment to, I think that this can be effective. But it has to, again, be communicated in a proper way. And I would say the proper way is, is not, um, well, let me give, let me give two, two examples, and I'll, I'll lead into this. So, you know, little Ralphie is three, and he loves his teddy bear. So he defiantly refuses to stop touching electrical outlets, though. So, so that's a problem. I mean, we had that problem with one child. They just like they just like gravitated to them. It's like a magnetic pull to the. That's a problem, right? You don't want them, you know, especially to start licking their fingers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It didn't happen. So we, we don't want that to happen. So you know, we instruct. We tell the tell the three year old don't do that. He does it again. You know, maybe we take their hand and we pull it away. Maybe there's a pat on the hand. So, you know, we're trying to in, we're trying to communicate. Make sure they understand. That they shouldn't be touching the electrical outlet. They're not going to understand the dangers of electricity at three years old. But they have to understand that they can't do that. They need to obey. They need to trust us that what we tell them is for their benefit. And so you got to take it up a notch at some point. Compare that to little Ralphie now is 17 and he repeatedly comes in 30 minutes after his curfew. And so dad takes away his driving privileges. So there's a very direct correlation in the 17-year-old example. And in this example, there is, this is, this is like remedial training. It's like, listen, big Ralphie, you're 17 year old, 17 years old. What do you want? Well, I want freedom. I want to be able to hang out with my friends. I want to be able to come and go as I please. Like, well, when you no longer live in this house, you can do that anytime you want. But right now you're under our house and our roof and our rules. And we want you to come in at 10 o'clock, whatever the time is. And if you don't do that, then, you're, then you are giving up your right to drive our car. So it's not necessarily me taking it away as you're making a decision about what's important to you. And you're deciding that staying out with your friends is more important than driving your car. So you're going to lose that privilege. You're going to give up that privilege by making that decision. All right, inconsistent methodologies. This is, this is probably, this is a difficult thing because we try something and we don't, we try something for discipline and it doesn't, we don't think that it works. And so we try something else. And then the kid is like, what's going on? I never know what to expect. So inconsistent methodologies are not doing the same thing with your So. I think probably the most common reaction is, you know, to spanking is, well, I tried spanking and it didn't work. So now I do get pick your poison, whatever. I take things away. I give timeouts. I, I do it. So inconsistent methodologies. Uh, permissiveness. This is just letting the child do whatever they want. And, you know, we're trying to reason with the child, with a two-year-old, rather than requiring that they obey. The problem with this is, it's, frankly, it's lazy. It's lacking in courage on the part of the parent to stand up to your two-year-old and insist that they obey you because this is what God has required you as a parent to do. 
So the fundamental problems with all of these methods is they're superficial, they fail to address the heart, and most importantly, they're not addressed in scripture. And you don't see them laid out in scripture. So this actually is a nice place to break since we just have a couple minutes left. No, we have no minutes left. Is that the second block? That was the first block. Okay, okay, yeah, it says 10, 15. So, all right, so next week we will look at biblical methods, which is really the role of the rod in spanking and the role of communication, which is pervasive. And we should probably be more communicative than we do. I speak for myself. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you've given us instruction on such practical things as raising children. And we just commit our children to you. We ask that you would work in their hearts, that you would save them at an early age, that you would cause them to grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ, that you would use us as your instruments to accomplish this for your glory. And we ask that you